What's up and welcome back. It is episode number 23 of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. I'm Dan Ball. And I'm Matt McAuliffe. And uh, Matt, I have a feeling this isn't Hamden anymore. No. Yeah, we are um, We are far from home. It's, <laughs> it's, um, Tell us where we are. We're in Albany, New York, in the Renaissance Hotel, laying on um, a hotel bed, <laughs> doing this rundown right now. So we're... Um, we are definitely not the worst rundown location that we've had. Yeah, I wasn't going to say living the dream, but it's it's a lot of fun. The dream is being lived. Yeah, it's, yeah. A very, it's a very comfortable rundown being performed today. But yeah, we are here in Albany, New York for the 2019 MAC basketball tournament. The Quinnipiac men's and women's basketball team both made the tournament. So we came up here. We've been doing video content and audio content all weekend. So first of all, make sure if you haven't already, follow QU underscore MBB and QU underscore WBB. That is the men's and women's basketball accounts on both Twitter and Instagram. Matt and I have been doing content all weekend for them. So uh, if you only know us through the podcast and nothing else, I know. you can finally well, see what yeah, we look I, like. I was going to say. And hopefully finally, we won't disappoint. Yeah, you'll finally get faces to the voices and you'll either go, whoa, or, oh, all right. <laughs> And there is no in between. Yeah, there's no in between. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, but we are here to bring you. Uh, it's technically spring break, so it's going to be kind of like a spring break podcast. But we wanted to do audio in conjunction with the video for the 2019 tournament. So we are going to be bringing you an episode dedicated to the men's and women's basketball teams. But first, we have a lot of other teams in action this weekend and over the upcoming week. So we're going to tell you about that and the week that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. <laughs> Women's Lacks took down in-state rival University of Hartford 19-10 this past Wednesday. Sophomore Sophie Spencer recorded her first career hat trick, while senior Allison Kuhn scored the 100th goal of her career. So congratulations to both of those players. Women's Lacks is back in action next weekend as they travel to Fresno State in California for a game on Sunday, March 17th. So not a bad spot to be during the middle of spring break. Now for men's lacrosse, Brett DeSalvo scored the game-winning goal in overtime as Lax took down Wagner by a score of 7-6. And folks, if you haven't seen the OT celebration video on men's lacrosse Twitter, go look at it. It's, Absolutely it's crazy. awesome, awesome content. Jake Tomzik led the way with three goals and three assists, factoring in on six of Quinnipiac's seven goals. The Lax team kicks off its Mac and home schedules with a game on Saturday, March 16th at noon against Detroit. Switching from the Lax field to the Diamond, the softball team is on the road again in Clearwater, Florida all this week. They play a doubleheader with Eastern Illinois on Tuesday, March 12th before playing Colgate the next day. They then play five games over the weekend as part of the USF Under Armour Showcase. They battle Colgate, Florida A&M, LaSalle, Florida Gulf Coast, and Columbia Friday through Sunday. Now we're going to stay in the same state of Florida, but we're going to move to baseball now. Baseball has a series at Florida Gulf Coast. They had a 9-8 to loss Friday and a 5-4 to loss Saturday. But currently, while we're recording this podcast, Dan... Midday Sunday. Yes, they were leading 7-4 to in the top of the ninth. So keep an eye out for that. 
So they finished their Florida trip with two games against Florida Atlantic on Tuesday and Wednesday before traveling to Richmond, Virginia for games over the weekend against Toledo, Bryant, and Richmond. Switching over to the hardcourt, tennis is on the road again out in California next week. They battle Claremont Mud Scripps Colleges, San Diego State, Southern Utah, and the University of California Riverside between Sunday and Friday. Now to men's tennis. We're going to stay on the West Coast, Dan. The men's tennis team is also on a Western swing. They head to California to battle Claremont Mun Strips Colleges, University of California Irvine, Purdue, UC San Diego, and University of California Riverside between Sunday and Friday. Over to the course, women's golf is back in action on Monday and Tuesday of this week as they travel to Kissimmee, Florida for the Bucknell Spring Break Classic. Now to the Acro and Tumbling team. That was the team featured last week on this podcast. The number three Quinnipiac Acrobatics and Tumbling team. They swept every heat Saturday afternoon as the Bobcats had their best meet of the season in a 273.430 to 235.585 victory over the West Liberty Hilltoppers. Quinnipiac set season highs in 10 different heats throughout the meet and set event highs in three events on Saturday. If you don't know what heat or meat means, listen to last episode, and then come back to this spot, and you'll understand. They hit the road this Thursday, March 14th, to Bristol, Tennessee, to battle Kings College. To the ice, men's hockey returns home to the Frank Parati Jr. Arena to play in the ECAC quarterfinals next weekend. Right now, when we're recording on Sunday, we don't know the opponent yet. It's going to be either Brown or St. Lawrence, depending on the result of today's game between St. Lawrence and Dartmouth. So keep an eye out for that. We'll find out within actually a couple hours of when we're recording this, but right now, we don't know the answer. So uh, the winner of that series between the Bobcats and whoever they get will head to Lake Placid for the semifinals and finals of the 2019 ECAC Hockey Tournament. So keep an eye out there. We'll find out who the Bobcats are playing soon and then Matt will find out if the Bobcats have a chance to get to Lake Placid in a couple weeks. Absolutely and now we move to Albany where we are right now with men's basketball. Men's basketball dropped a heartbreaker in the MAC quarterfinals against Monmouth with the score of 98 to 92. Cam Young had 33 points and Jacob Rigoni had 30 but Monmouth outscored Quinnipiac in the paint 42 to 16. Young knocked down 10 field goals for just the third time this season and eight three-pointers made were his second most in a game this season. He finished the season with Quinnipiac, Division I single-season program record, 699 points, also good for the third most points in a season across all levels. Rigoni set career high with 30 points and seven made three-pointers after he was 7-for-11 from behind the arc and 9-for-9 from the free-throw line. So congratulations to uh, the men's basketball season on a fantastic season. Great season. Uh, You know, especially the case for Cam Young. 699 points this year. Ends with well over 1,000 in his career and a a shortened career, too, considering where he came from. So, uh, and a lot of momentum, too, uh, going in the right direction for this team. They have a lot of younger players. I mean, uh, a lot of people forget the core of this team is mainly made up of freshmen and sophomores from when Baker Dunleavy first came in. Yeah, Dan, it's a young team and a young coach. Coach, but they're learning and they're growing and their expansion and their experience has grown big time because they got a first round bye, which was huge for this program and they're, they're on their way. They, this team is on their way. And that was one of the things that we heard from Baker Dunleavy. We were in the, the post-game press conference when he was speaking after the game, and he said, you know, it's a step in the right direction for the program, and it's a, a learning moment for some of these younger players. Absolutely. 
So let's move from the men's to the women's, the final team on our rundown. Uh, women's basketball took down in-state rival Fairfield in the quarterfinals of the MAC tournament by a score of 63-48. to Aaron McClure led the charge with 15 points, while Jen Fay and Brittany Martin were also in double digits. The Bobcats jumped out to an early 12-0 lead in the first 4 minutes and 56 seconds of Friday's quarterfinal game and added a separate 11-0 run from the third quarter into the fourth quarter to put the game out of reach against the Stags. Two days later, Quinnipiac beat the Monmouth Hawks by a score of 80-42 to in the semifinals. Brittany Martin led the way this time with 17 points, while Paula Stratmanet had 15, Taylor Hurd had 14, and Jen Fay had 11. The Bobcats and Hawks traded baskets in the opening few minutes before Quinnipiac went on an 11-0 run in the span of 2 minutes and 32 seconds to take a 12-point lead, and they never looked back. Quinnipiac's victory was its 51st straight against MAC opponents, tied with Duke's streak against ACC opponents in 2001 to 2004 for the 10th longest streak in NCAA history. <laughs> Damn, so that's kind of wild. Quinnipiac man. continuing <laughs> to just make history left and right with each win that it has, and just a, an unbelievable season so far uh, for the Bobcats, and an unbelievable streak and accomplishment for Coach Trish Fabry. Yeah, I mean, again, this team is just dominant with a capital D. Like, they just keep grinding, and they know how to stay calm in pressure moments because at this tournament, we've seen it so far with these quarterfinal and semifinal games. Like, the crowd can get a little louder than normal. Like, they, it can get distracting, but they have the experience to stay calm, stay focused, stay cool. And they keep finding those open shots and they keep exposing teams' weaknesses. So on today's episode, Matt, we are talking to Diane Nolan. She is the color commentator for the Quinnipiac women's basketball game on WQUN. She is a veteran of Connecticut basketball that spans decades. She started coaching at Fairfield in 1979, coached there for 28 years, coached at Yale for a few years, and now she's moved into the broadcasting game. But Matt, she was able to coach coach Trisha Fabry when she was still in college in the late <laughs> yeah. 80s and 90s when she was still the unmarried Trisha Saka and when we talked to Diane I got a chance to sit down with her I mean the the rate the relationship between the two of these uh the two of these fine ladies goes back years now and she's been able to see some unbelievable basketball over her two years in Quinnipiac I mean they're legends and and she's a legend she's an icon of the game she's has so much strong and long history in the women's college basketball game so when she talks, you just listen. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Here's Diane Knoll. And we're back here on episode number 23 of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. We're live from Albany, New York. It's a great spot to be in the month of March, and we are joined by the legend herself, Connecticut basketball legend, Diane Nolan. Diane, how are you today? I'm terrific. I, I'm glad to be here, and I'm so happy with the win, so it extends our stay here up in Albany. Oh, of course. I mean, when we're when, when you get to stay in the Renaissance for a couple days and uh, and uh, be in Albany all weekend, that's fantastic. So uh, we, we have you here today. It's a, the biggest weekend of the season so far for the women's basketball team, so you know, we kind of want to get a little bit of a, a history of you, how, how you ended up with Quinnipiac in there as their color commentator on the radio broadcast, but also kind of a perspective, uh, you know, what you've seen from this team so far and, and what you think could be coming next. So we talked a little bit about this before we started, but uh, your career began with Fairfield. 28 seasons. It, it did. I, I actually started at St. Francis College in Brooklyn. Right. And I was coaching... Uh, at that institution, and we played against Fairfield. Okay. And we actually broke their winning streak at, at St. <laughs> Francis. And I fell in love with the, uh, with the university. Yeah. You know, I, and I said to myself, um, if that job ever opened, I'd love to, to go after it. 
and sure enough, uh, it opened and they were hiring their first uh, full-time basketball coach. And I went at it, uh, at the job with vengeance. I mean, everyone I knew who knew anybody at Fairfield, I I asked them to speak (laughs) on my behalf. And uh, so much so that the athletic director once told me that he was at uh, at a men's room and somebody came up and tapped him on the shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) So I I ended up getting the, the position. And uh, it was it was Division Two at that time. Division Two, okay. Yes, yes. and then uh, we elevated to uh, Division One. And at that time, there were two divisions: small and large college. It was AIW. It wasn't uh, under the guise of the NCAA yet. Okay. And so we were a small college, obviously, and um, we we started to uh, to recruit and take the program uh, seriously. The funding started to uh, match our expectations, and we were able to. Uh, attracts some some really awesome young women to come to the, the te- you know to play for us and we were able to start winning and uh, you know winning uh, attracts winners and so the more we won the more uh, the higher caliber student athlete we could recruit and uh, sure enough they came and, and we started uh, to win a lot of games <laughs> so uh, one of those high caliber players that you ended up finding uh, was a young Patricia Saka back uh, in the late 1980s now uh, coach Trisha Fabry of the Quinnipiac basketball team but so when first of all what when did you discover Trish when how did she start to come on your well radar? you have to understand this my mother uh, was a legendary high school basketball coach and actually coached Trish's mother okay Okay, so I knew about um, the Saka clan very early <laughs> on. And um, obviously, I, I saw her play, uh, when I first saw her play, I just loved her game. She was considered a, uh undersized post. And at that time, uh, to play in the underneath the basket, people were looking for height. And uh, now she would probably be a, a two-guard. But <laughs> right. at that time, uh, she was playing underneath the basket and just had great hands, great instincts. She was a lefty. And that is always uh, an added bonus, very difficult to guard underneath the basket. And we, you could just tell that she was a winner. Okay. You know, and uh, someone that we certainly wanted to have in our program. And I can remember we went to go home visit with her. At that time, now really dating myself, we we used a slideshow to show our campus, and we walked in her living room, and one of our assistants dropped the projector, and all of the slides went all over the living oh, room. Oh man! <laughs> so here we're trying to put our best foot forward. Right. We're gathering slides from, and uh, we were very fortunate that she said yes. So uh, when she came into the program, um, her class is really credited with changing the culture of our team and of our program two mac championships i believe yes and one was our freshman year and at that time um we were playing at the westchester county arena and lasalle university was in our conference and they were at the time 20th in the country and so we got to the championship game and nobody gave us any any kind of uh credit to to play the game and to back up a, a game before we played holy cross and Coach Fabry took an elbow to the eye, and um, I always have this vision. I'm in a timeout, and there was blood actually coming down her face, and she's looking and listening. The athletic trainer put a Band-Aid on. She finished the game, and her father came down from the stands and said, she'll play tomorrow, Coach. She'll play tomorrow. Lo and behold, she went and got stitched up, and she played. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's just who, yeah. who Coach is. Yeah. And um, we ended up um, – down 11 at the half and 
LaSalle hit a three before we uh, went into the halftime. My husband was one of our uh, assistant coaches. He grabs me and said, you know, don't even talk about that shot. Well, we came out, and we started basket by basket, you know, closing the gap. And the very last play of the game, um, the score was tied, and Coach was defending underneath. And actually, Cheryl Reeves, who was the coach of the Minnesota uh, Lynx, is, um, she was their uh, point guard. And she was guarding the low post player. And Coach came around her defense, came around to look like she was going to front the post. Cheryl was ready to, to pass the ball in, and she created a walk because she saw Coach coming around. We went down and scored and won the game. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, so I mean, the, That's yeah, just I mean, who she is. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And fast forward, we went to uh, – did not win again uh, the championship until her senior year. We were close in, in both her sophomore and junior years. But the senior year um, – it was uh, on campus sites, and we were playing at Manhattan College. And uh, the semifinal and the final game went into overtime, both games. And uh, we won by a bucket against St. Peter's her senior year. <sighs> so, I mean, she she was just, you know, really changed the culture of our program. Yeah. And, uh, and not only uh, is she, you know, obviously a, a great athlete, but she is a terrific student. So she really, you know, was symbolic of the student athlete that we wanted to attract. And... Coach does everything big. She had big hair. She had a big car on <laughs> campus, you know. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, we always said that uh, Sackett lives large, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and and she did. And we went on. And uh, and this is one of the reasons that, that she really, I think, wanted to get into coaching. We played first round the NCAA tournament at Providence. Okay. And we were uh, winning the entire game. And the last uh, possession of the game um, – they called a five-second violation against us, and Providence got the ball out and hit a buzzer basket, and we lost. And it was really one of these games, you know, you never blame it on the, the, the officials, but it, they really f factored into the game. Of, of all things to call at that juncture it, in exactly. the game. Exactly, and we actually, yeah. the game was on cable, and we show they show the timeline. It was oh, three seconds. Oh, man. Yeah, so, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, we still have fans. My brother, her father, a few, and, and actually, you know, Paula's family, uh, her husband's family, will still stop and say, I still can't get over that Providence game. And she had often said that game propelled her into coaching. Really? She wanted to win that an NCAA game. And uh, she graduated, and I, uh, she, she left, you know, she went back home. And then I had a position open up um, as a grad assistant. So she was the first person that I, I, I called. And as she tells the story, she was cocktail waitressing <laughs> down in Atlantic City. And um, I called her parents up trying to find where she was. Right. They called her up and said, you know, you're going to Fairfield again. So packed her in the car, and then she was with us. And, and she was such a terrific assistant. You know, right away she was able – she knows talent. She can recruit, obviously, with her personality. And we had some of our better players come while she was our assistant. And then uh, the Quinnipiac job opened, and, uh, you know, it was time for her to have her own program. And she obviously she was able to get the job, and uh, I know Gino Oriema called for her in her behalf. Certainly, she was uh, aligned with the success we had at Fairfield during that time, and um, she got the job, and the rest is history. So, uh, so you could see the success of this Quinnipiac program. Oh, absolutely! Coming. I remember from the first day. Yeah, you know when they they played in Burke Con Arena or Court, and um, you know she was taking over a a, a program that. Very similar to Fairfield, they you know they had not won, 
Uh, they were moving into uh, a, a better direction from two to one. And um, how do you build your own program? And, and it, it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, of luck. It takes a lot of everything. And the first few years were difficult for her, you know, as they are in every program that you're starting from scratch. Of course, yeah. You know, and um, but you knew that she had it. You know, it, yeah. it's one of those things that y you know people when they have it, and, and certainly she did, and and thank God she stayed with it, and now look where the program is today. So from a from an outsider or not outsider's perspective, but from somebody who was coaching at Fairfield and who's been around Connecticut basketball, what has it been like for you to watch this watch this evolution of the Quinnipiac program and watch her start to build it up, especially over the last five years? Oh, it's been a, it's been such a joy. Yeah. You no, know, and and you knew that she had it, and and she. Some people will, will have talents, but they really don't develop them. Uh, contrary, you know, coach has become one of the best X and O minds, and I'm not sure um, she has enough credit for that. I mean, she is really a student of the game. If you really closely watch her teams, um, they're so uh, fundamentally sound and very make very few mistakes. And uh, the adjustments, I always like to talk about in the radio from first half to second half. Watching the game, you come out second half, and you know they've made some adjustments She's able to convey that to her players. Sometimes having knowledge and being able to teach and impart it is a different story. And she has the ability to break it down so a player understands it, they lock in, and then they go out and execute it. And I think that certainly she has attracted great student athletes. I of mean, course, obviously yeah. you need the talent. Yeah. But what are you going to do with the talent? And she's able to develop it and make it a family atmosphere, make it a fun atmosphere, graduate her players. And I think she's one of the top you know, five coaches in the country. You know, to, to get to her level, like, you know, I, when I do our broadcast, I look at the RPI, the, how they rank uh, in the nation. And the, going into yesterday's game, they're 42. To be 42nd best out of 351 teams uh, with a school that doesn't have football. You know, and, and the Power Five conferences attract their name recognition. Obviously, Quinnipiac uh, is, is getting there with right. ice hockey and all their but, uh, programs. But as a mid-major, that's uh, absolutely it's, uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, when when you don't have that, you know, that that football and that power five behind you, it is absolutely phenomenal. And and she does it with um, with class, with good players, uh, no disruptions. Uh, you know, everything is above board, very transparent, and it's it just it's just been a joy to watch. And it's it, it's funny you mentioned that the adjustment the adjustments part of it between the first and second half because that was very evident in the in the quarterfinals I, I at least from from my perspective and I don't follow basketball quite as much as I follow hockey but I mean you know there was a little bit of a lull in the second quarter for, of uh, Quinnipiac's game against Fairfield yesterday at the time that we're recording this but something was said in the locker room whatever it may be whatever changes that they need to that they needed to make and. They came out like gangbusters in the second half. Absolutely, and and the game uh, previous against Fairfield, it was at Alumni Hall, which is always fun for us to go back. Oh, you know, of course, her of name's course. on a banner. I look at the four NCA uh, banners, and we, we kind of laugh. It's a, it's a special moment, and then and and then that's the floor she was engaged. You know, and so uh, you know it's always special. But uh, Fairfield in that game played zone, and they have some length in the back, and. Um, you know, the, the Bobcats weren't making shots that day, so the game was close. Now, fast forward to yesterday's game. First play of the game, Bobcats come down, 
Paula's on the uh, baseline short corner. Here comes Jen Faye coming down. They ran a play specifically to break down the zone. So they knew what they were going to face, made the adjustments, came out and executed, and you know, the rest is history. And all five play all five players on the court knew exactly what they needed to do. Absolutely. That's, that's the yeah, preparation. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, I didn't know the engagement story. What so can Oh you, my gosh. Oh absolutely. I, I and I don't and I, this oh, may I, be more I, of a well known thing, but can you just Sure, just, that this is legendary. Yeah. It, it made uh uh international news. Um Paul Fabry was our sports information director, women's basketball sports information director. And as you know, the media travels with the team. And and uh, she, he and and Trish um, developed a you know a, a rapport, just kind of sure, yeah. teasing back and forth. Well, it, it developed you know deeper. And um, at that time, Fairfield had a, a great rivalry with St. Peter's. Okay. We were, the championship was rotating between the two of us and they had a, a, a fun coach Mike Grinelli and it's senior game at Fairfield and Paul about a month earlier came to me and said uh, I'd like to propose to Trish at the game and I said okay I said well let's check it off with the seniors because it's the senior night right well they thought it was wonderful <laughs> they were so excited and he goes, I said then we got to call coach Grinelli you know and when I called Coach, and, and Paul and I called, called Coach, and he said, I would not do it for anybody else but Saka. I mean, she was well-loved as a player through all of the coaches. It was so respected and just fun. And now she was an assistant, so, you know, we, we go out recruiting trips and, and, you know, visit with each other and have some fun. And he said, only because it's Saka. <laughs> well, Alumni Hall, we purposely, the back bleachers where the fans usually sit student section were pushed back and Trish had no idea we all knew cable vision who aired our games knew and Paul came in on a horse in the gym so all of a sudden it the shock uh, the game clock's winding down getting ready to start and we started the the our players and myself started to distance ourselves from the bench in the huddle. And as coaches would be, what's going on? What's going on? It's time to start the game. Let's go. Let's oh, go. Yeah. yeah. And so we start, and she's like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, Paul's three former uh, college roommates, who Trish obviously knew, they all went to Fairfield together, right. were leading with plastic trumpets. And they had these, like, outfits on. Paul comes in on a white horse <laughs> with a viking plastic hat on oh my and god they come walking <laughs> in everybody is they all have the i'm dating camcorders that everything is being filmed he comes walking the horse comes in the back of the gym yep he's got a like a a sheet as a cape gets off of the horse goes over to trish at center court drops to one knee and recites a poem and asks for a hand in marriage. It was incredible. That's something out of a storybook. Oh, I, That's it absolutely. Incredible. I, 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 have, I actually have the video and I gave it to them for Christmas. I, I transferred it from VHS to it. Oh, uh, wow. And it was aired all over. The next day, um, uh, Mike uh, used to do a show um, play by play at Madison Square Garden. Okay, uh, Mike and Mad Dog, and um, they invited them up. They limoed them up and interviewed them, 
it, uh, we had a friend who was in St. Petersburg, Russia, watched it on TV. Oh, my and goodness. Because everyone recognized the stag court. They said, what's going on there at Fairfield? And yeah. that was the proposal. Wow. Yes, and, and everybody's parents were and were upset, <laughs> and all the boyfriends, they said, we can't top that. You know? <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I mean, all just down Everybody else was playing yeah. for second place absolutely, at that point. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and at their wedding, the song that they came uh, into the um, – to the reception hall was they were playing Rocky. You know? oh, so I mean, wow. th- this is a, a couple that were meant to be. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yes, yeah, so sometime you ask Coach. She's got the video. I it. will. I will have to do that. Yeah, if we if we we were fortunate enough to talk to her earlier in the year, but if we have her back or at some point, I'll I'll save it for sometime a little bit later because exactly. we're kind of focused <laughs> on other things right now. But so personally for you, so so you stepped down from Fairfield after 28 years. So. Uh, you know what I we talked before and, and mm-hmm. it was at a point in your life where where it was uh, more beneficial for you maybe to, to go in a different direction so so what was the thought process behind that well you know it, it was time to leave Fairfield and um, and it, it was a, a place obviously very close to my heart having been there 20 years during my tenure there uh, I married my high school sweetheart I have three sons they were all grew up you know around the Fairfield uh, campus uh, they went to Fairfield prep so um, it, it was home but, it, you know, sometimes you have to leave the nest. And my mother was sickly. Fairfield had, had a new president, maybe a different direction. So it was, a, you know, it was a, a party. And it was a, a very good party. And um, then I um, was asked by um, the coach of Yale. She had lost her um, assistant or associate head coach if I still wanted to, to coach. Would I like to come to Yale? And um, I said yes. And I had never been an assistant. I started out in the year when you went right into being a head coach. And so it was a great experience. I mean, I, I'm not from the Ivy League, and uh, working three years at Yale was um, just a wonderful experience. It opened uh, my eyes to um, the Ivy League world and the Yale world, and it was just phenomenal. Their um, athletics director, Tom Beckett, was terrific to me, and uh, as Chris Goldbrick was, met a lot of people, and as the recruiting coordinator, got an insight to admissions at Yale. Oh, and, okay. And that was very interesting. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. And um, three years later, I got the bug again and then went out to Lafayette in the Patriot League and uh, spent five years there. My family didn't make the move when I went to Lafayette. So after the fifth year there, it was time to come home. Right. So I came back to Connecticut. And um, that's and, and Trish had called and she said, listen, um, we have some changes at the radio and uh, would you be interested in being uh, the, the color? And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I actually have one of my, ma- I have a, a master's degree in political and corporate communications. Oh, wow. And uh, had been familiar with the media. And here's another tidbit. During our tenure at uh, Fairfield, we, uh, I had a, a show on cable what was called the Diane Nolan show and coach was my co-host oh man so we have so we would co-host a show yeah. weekly yeah uh, on on uh, cable vision channel 12 so uh, when she asked about the radio here at Quinnipiac I said yes let's do it and um, I did a year ago and uh, I can't speak enough to uh, Bob Mortali yeah I mean, I mean he's such a pro and as you well know, radio is difficult. It's different than TV. Oh, radio for basketball one of the one of the harder things in the business that you can you can try to do. It's so fast paced and everything like that. Absolutely. And I was my background was in TV and it wasn't radio, so it's it's a whole different gig. And um, just enjoying covering the team. I mean, yeah. this team is phenomenal. 
No, and oh, and, and to get be a able gig to, no, yeah, and absolutely, yeah. and and uh, to be able to talk about them is easy. Right. I, I sympathize with people who have to cover programs who aren't having as much success because it, it would be very. It, it, I'm sure it makes it very challenging. Yeah, that there's a lot of a lot more time that you have to fill or, or try to figure out how to fill. But um, so I mean, uh, moving on to the team from from this year, uh, so many amazing storylines going on, kind of parallel to each other this year, but. Uh, you know, you've been able to now be around this group of seniors for two years. Uh, you know, the main group of five, they start almost every game. So, I mean, all the way down the line, what, what have your thoughts been on this group of five and how they've been leaders both on and off the court for this team? Well, they certainly have been, been leaders, and, and, and they lead in different ways, and I think that's one of their strengths. They're very um, accepting of each other's uh, personalities. Right. Oh, they, they need to hear things different ways, and they understand each other, and they're able to uh, listen to the what details need to happen out on the court, and they're tough competitors. And I think they when we talk about grit, you know, that's a, a common word right now, and uh, that's what they have. I watch them on the defensive end, their communication, and in the era of... Uh, text messaging and cell phones talking is almost a lost art and a lot of coaches will complain i got to get my team to talk i got to get my team to talk and they communicate so well out on the floor and i think it's it you know it starts with a respect of each other and a trust of one another and to watch them develop this trust and their ability to keep focused on the job now keep focused on the the good of the all where they don't take a, a, a selfish shot. They don't take, they don't slide over to help someone. You know, I, I think they really care about the end result and, and sacrifice their individuality yeah. for the sake of the team. You know, uh, we had um, over winter break, we had uh, Adele, Paula and uh, Kiara Bikini on this, this very podcast. And one of the things that, that they said, I don't remember if it was Adele or Paula, but one of them said almost verbatim, we don't really care who gets the basket at the end of the play. We just want to make sure it's going in the hoop. And that is absolutely in, uh, in today's sports society, you know, and, and it's no, it's no shot to anybody else, but it's just, it's an impressive sense of sense of team to be able to say to yourself, Oh yeah, I don't care if I have, if I have no points, but if I'm, but if our team is winning and I'm contributing to the play somehow, I'm still happy with that. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's hard to develop. It's contrary to the way life is right now. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so they're going against the grain and it starts with coach. Yeah. You know, she's been able to deliver that message. The message has been heard and then they go out and they do. And, and I think it's a trust of, of the whole system. Yeah. Uh, they, they believe that, coach is going to give them the, the roadmap to be successful and if they do x y and z it's going to happen and it does but you're right about their unselfishness uh, when you watch them on the floor you'll say oh that that looks like a good shot and then you see them pass and you're like why are they passing well they passed for a better shot uh, and and then underneath the boards yeah. i mean they often are very very rarely out rebounded and that's just hard work i mean that, that's taking a hit I mean, look at Paige Warfel. i mean you know, she just throws her body in there and, and you know, and all of the seniors. Almost took out a cameraman in the process exactly, on Friday. Exactly, yeah. and, and I remember that play last year in Miami. I think she was the one on the floor that saved the ball and, and Adele got the shot, which kind of put the dagger in Miami last year. But you're right, the seniors have um, certainly a look at their record. You know, we were talking about that on senior day. Bob was doing his research and uh, 
I think they've lost four games. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's incredible. That, and the schedule, I mean, Coach doesn't schedule out of conference cupcakes. You know, it, it's a tough schedule. I think it was ranked something like ninth in the country. And so for them to get all these wins uh, is just phenomenal. And, 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 they, and the other thing, there's never team issues. You know, they're, they're very businesslike. This is what we're going to do. Oh, yeah. And they don't let the uh, little things get, you know, creep in, which is hard to do. I'm going through my notes really, really quickly because um, the the numbers for just how good this, just how good the senior class has been, is let's see. So not so adding in the win on Friday, they would be 106 and 28 and 71 and six in the MAC in yes. four years. Two, and they're still and they're still and they're still going absolutely. Right, yeah. Two years undefeated. Yeah, uh, that is incredible because you know the dog days of February on a random Thursday night, and you're taking a drive <laughs> to down to Manhattan or St. Peter's or Ma or you name it. Up uh, into lovely North Country. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you go up to the Buffalo, and and you think about that, where you know possibly you have three people with the flu, or, or someone's not feeling well, and for them to be and and you're the hunted. You know, the bullseye's on their back night after night. And for them to be able to achieve that, it's just, it's just remarkable. And, yeah. and it's funny because now it's expected. You know, if they're not up by 20, it's like, oh, what's the matter? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an off day. Yeah, you only, yeah. you only have to win by one. You yeah. know, <laughs> give them some slack, you know. So, I mean, from your perspective as, a, as the caller commentator, uh, that's a big core that you're losing at the end of this year, yes. win, lose, or draw. Have you started to see that the trickle-down effect of some of the younger players who could possibly step up next year? Oh, absolutely. You see when they come in the game. And, and you know, obviously they're sitting behind some great players, so they're not seeing as much time it, maybe in, in some other the programs but when they take the floor if you look at uh Deweese and you look at free and you look at uh page and you look at taylor you can see that they do the same things there's not a drop off and it doesn't matter what time of the game it is coach is coaching them oh so they're not going to come in and just get so they say garbage time right, you know yeah. and just do anything yeah. who cares you throw the ball away you don't make the shot you don't go after the rebound we're still going to win by 20 but that doesn't happen you know, you can see they're they're getting through the screens. They're they're talking. So I think this group um, will be ready. You know, they're biding their time. They're listening. When they get out there, they perform. And uh, I think this is just going to continue. Yeah, that's I've, it's if you're able to if you're able to put those players under such an established group like you mentioned. That's there's no better way to learn than than between coach and between those five players. No matter what the position is. Absolutely, and people sometimes don't realize that that group practices every day against the starting five. So they are honing in on their Talk skills. trial by fire. Exactly. Yeah. So every day yeah. they're, they're forced to get better yeah. uh, to make the practices competitive. And I think that's why the drop-off isn't so deep because you know, here they are. I mean, they've practiced against the top day in, day out, and now it's their time. So my, my last real question, this is kind of more of a broad question, but you've been involved with women's basketball for a while. Um, you know, from a full sale perspective, what kind of changes in growth have you seen in the sport from the beginning until 2019? Oh, my gosh. It, it's grown uh, leaps and bounds. It yeah. doesn't look like the same sport. You know, obviously, uh, when it was taken over uh, – by the NCA, more resources came in, and, and it always is the leadership. The universities found it valuable, and they decided to put more uh, emphasis on the on their women's programs, 
women um, who got the scholarships. And, and so right now, there's really no difference. And, and you see it on commercials. It's an athlete. you know. And so now it's nice to know that the women's programs are thought of in the same breath you know, as the men's programs. And that's the skill level is improved. The coaching has improved. Uh, girls are playing at a younger age. They have more uh, availability to, to courts and, and to, to hone in on their skills early on. And um, they understand, too, that it's a stepping stone to something else. They can play in Europe through the notoriety uh, of the sport. It's a jump start to network their next journey. And I think that's another valuable tool. Right now, if I'm a, an employer and I'm going through resumes and I see Aaron McClure's resume and what she's done on the court, well, I know she's a team player. I know she is going to be prepared. And it elevates them uh, on, in their next journey. So I think to watch it go from tea and cookies, six people on the floor, to a competitive, sold-out arena with full scholarships and life after basketball uh has been just you know, that's that's the change yeah i mean it, it's just revolutionary it's it, it's it's such a full sale change because it's it's the people not just the athletes like you're talking about oh, that's, I, yeah. I, absolutely yeah. absolutely and i mean when you have a president tweet about your women's basketball team for many years presidents didn't even know they had one right you know? right yeah <laughs> and, and now you know now it's it's a flagship program yeah. and and you tout it and talk about it amongst your presidential peers and that's you know that's how far we've grown right um so typically and i and i know that i'm pretty sure everybody's about to come in the in the room for lunch so we'll do this quickly but matt and i typically ask three questions these are more personal questions they're mm -hmm. the real thinkers because i know you can talk QU hoops all day but uh, the first one, if you could live anywhere in the uh, anywhere in the world that is not Hamden, Connecticut, where would it be and why? Uh, I would live at Ocean City, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, I love the beach, and I, it's a beach community that I go to in the summer, and I now uh, just bought a house there, and I uh, enjoy uh, the winters down there on the on weekends, and I would live there. Oh. That's uh, right now in the middle of March in Albany, New York. That's and then my my second good. would be Paris. So uh, okay, <laughs> um, two fantastic options. Uh, the second one, if you could have dinner with someone either alive or deceased, who would it be and why? I would have dinner with Sandra Day O'Connor, and uh, I think she was a a pioneer before her time had a vision of where the court should go, stepped down um, to take care of her spouse, who then did not know her, and uh, just a phenomenal woman that I'd, I'd like to, to find out uh, how she carved her path. Yeah, and, and what... What motivates somebody like that? That's exactly. A, yeah, exactly. That, that would be a fantastic conversation. And the last one, uh, you're on death row. What is your final meal, your dinner, your drink, and your dessert? This could be something specific or general. Okay, my final meal. Drink would be a glass of champagne, Moet and Chandon. Uh, my meal would be a Caesar salad and lobster. And my de my dessert would be key lime pie. Ooh, okay. I see. I, I'm right there with you. I've always been a huge fan of the of the fruit based desserts. 
um, the apple pie, apple crisp, lemon meringue pie, anything like that, even carrot cake. And I know that may not be the most popular takes, but anything fruit and vegetable based desserts, I'm all in on. Uh, absolutely. You put <laughs> blueberries in front of me, you put oh. them on anything and I'm there. <laughs> I can't even believe I missed that one. That's the best one. Well, Diane, thank you so much for taking the time today, uh, and congratulations on, on everything throughout your career. Well, thank you, and let's go Bobcats. Let's go Bobcats. There we go. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. We really appreciate you turning in. Hope you enjoyed the special MAC tournament episode. We hope to bring you uh, on the road again with us a couple times over the next year or so. But in the meantime, make sure you go online to QuinnipiacBobcats.com. Get all your stats, roster scores, merch, everything you may need right there on their website. Make sure you follow all of the accounts on Twitter and Instagram. It's at QUathletics for the main account, at QU underscore MBB, and at QU underscore WBB for the men's and women's basketball accounts. Shoot us a review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Give us a like, everything like that. Matt McAuliffe, if we want to follow you, how can we? Listen, different location, same social handle. At M. McCall of 7, my man. And I am at Dan Ball, B-A-H-L. Lastly, make sure you go on and vote for Captain Chase Prisky in the 2019 Hobie Baker voting. It's HobieBaker.com slash vote. Share the love with the hashtag ChaseTheHobie. We need that support. We need him to move up the rankings, so make sure you go and do that as well. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. The theme song of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast is Wire and Flashing Lights by Professor Click. Thank you.